the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. So today we're looking at Esther, and I guess the first part we look at is Hangman. We have the Bible in the book of Esther has so many firsts. It introduces us to the bachelor. Um, we have the bachelor 500 BC, which we looked at a couple of weeks back, and how there's this big kind of competition to kind of marry the, the emperor, this absolute billionaire baller that is absolutely killing it. And Esther's found favor, and she's made her way there. And you think, like, that's it. That's, that's the princess story. It ends there. But it doesn't end there. Things start going wrong. A guy gets promoted, and he is about to commit kind of genocide against her people because her cousin won't bow down when he walks past. And it's like a crazy, crazy story. But uh, we're at the point now where Esther has been used by God for such a time as this to deliver her people, to save her people from like mass extermination, from genocide. And there's this moment where she's kind of before the king and these gallows have been built to hang Mordecai on because this guy Haman is an absolute lunatic and the genocide is about to go forward. She's done this pitch. She's gone before the king. She's made him aware of the scenario after a couple of dates with him, date night. I mean, what a powerful date night. If only I could have date nights with my wife that were that influential and that powerful, like Jesus taketh the wheel. And the whole situation turns around for a people and it is just an absolute awesome, awesome story. But as he has this huge gallows built, this game of of hangman plays out where actually what ends up happening is Haman ends up being hung on the gallows he intended to hang Mordecai. And as I was looking at that this week, I was thinking about, you know what, there's been times in my life where I can see the gallows being constructed. I don't know if you've had those moments in a workplace, in a relationship, in a friendship circle, in a church, um, in all sorts of areas of life. There have been different scenarios where I've seen a friendship circle and I can see they're getting ready to hang me. Like I can see... I can see it getting constructed. I can see in a couple of workplaces I've had where things have got really difficult, where it's like, I know that. I know that P45's coming. I know they're not going to make me redundant. They're going to make the role redundant. Like, I know they're just absolutely looking for the quickest, shortest route to kind of lock me off. And you can see the gallows being built. And you know what? In the times in your life where you can see the gallows being built, It goes one of two ways. You end up at like a crossroads, like a fork in the road, and there's two ways you go. You can allow fear to take over and dictate to you to already act in a pessimistic way that doesn't believe things are gonna change. You can be so focused on the gallows and how you're gonna be hanging from them soon in this area of your life, or you can, in spite of the gallows being constructed before you, you know this is for you. You can trust God and see him do the miraculous. What I find amazing about this story is actually, I think one of the key lessons is so often when we see those moments happening and we see it all building and coming to a head, we wanna speed things up and we wanna try and work a plan out to try and deal with that person or to deal with that scenario. We wanna counteract it, we wanna fight it. What I love about this story is actually there's an element where there's not really that much that, that they do to instigate any sort of revenge. There's kind of like a, a like, hey, you know, this is happening. I don't want my people exterminated. Um, I want your mercy. And the king gives his mercy. But actually, he ends up being the driving force that leads to, to this happening. And the thing that hit me this week was you see that I made the mistake in my life where there's been a few times where 
I can see the gallows and I've made my own plans and I've pushed my own agenda. And do you know what ended up happening? I ended up getting hung from the gallows. And I looked back and I started to think about that and I thought actually, what would that scenario have played out if I truly just trusted God in the midst of it? If I truly put my faith in him, I can, I can blag at you this morning and say, you know what, I went for that scenario and I totally trusted God and all this. <coughs> I didn't trust God. I got scared. I got afraid. I didn't know how I was going to provide for my family. I didn't know all these kind of things. And, and I, just, I just jumped to trying to do it in my own strength in a precarious situation. And I ended up losing the game of hangman. And I started to think about that. And I started to think about what I love about this book is Though it never mentions God, though it never points the finger to him, the way that it's written is so well written that as you read through his pages, you start to realize, oh, he's totally in the background. He's like just pulling all the strings. He's moving all the pieces. And there's this element of trust. And I think what's so beautiful about this book is actually often in life, you don't have moments of clarity where even when people say they do, they don't where, oh, God said this and da 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 and they talked to you with absolute certainty. Very few people actually talk to you in that way. I was sitting with someone recently and they were talking to me about the plans that they believe that God has for them. They're talking about all this stuff and whatever and they're going, but it's, it's like, I'm so passionate about this, I so care about this and I'm listening to them and I just hear God all over it. But they're going to me, but I'm waiting for someone who doesn't know me out of nowhere to come out and knows nothing about this and tell me, you need to da 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 And I'm looking at them, I'm like, this is in your DNA. This is part of who you are. Like, this is God working through you. Like, I don't know what you're looking for. I said, all you're gonna get from God is a clacton. You're gonna hear the gun go bang, and you gotta go. You're gonna get a go moment. This is in you. This is so crazy how you're talking about this and how you're waiting for this. If you wait for this, you may, you may end up waiting for this in a box, you know, dead, and this never happens because you're just waiting for this, this thing that's never coming. And I wanted to say to us today that actually I wanted to encourage everyone here, like, it's getting this balance right of taking things in your own step and stepping out in faith, trusting in what God's called you to do, which is a great and a powerful thing because that's faith and that's trust, as opposed to the gallows are here and fear leads you to a decision. Never let fear be your driver and your decision maker. Never let your emotions be your driver and your decision maker. Step out in faith and trust what God has for you. What's funny is in the next chapter, the pendulum now is swinging the other way. So everyone across the empire is ready to kill Jewish people up and down the empire. And what happens is the people end up like, it's the new fad to pretend you're Jewish. So people all over the empire are pretending now to be Jews. And this is a very poignant story for me because actually although this is so distant, it's incomprehensible, I started to think this week actually about the Holocaust and I started to think about all the Nazi officers that pretended to have Jewish identities to be German Jews that ended up living in America in hiding and pretending their whole lives and making these horrific stories about how they were the reciprocants of the Nazis when really they were the Nazi officers inflicting such hatred. And people got caught and people got, got dealt with. But So when I read that, I mean, it's one of those ones where sometimes you read the Bible and you go like, man, that is so far flung. That is just absolutely crazy. There's no way... And then I was realizing, actually, you know what? There totally is, because this isn't the first time this happens to the Jews. This isn't the second time. This isn't the last time. And this still won't be the last time. Um, but man, I was reading through, and I was like, man, I remember this happening all through the Second World War. Straight away afterwards, there were war crimes against German officials, and they were pretending to be Jews. 
to save their lives and living their lives as if they were Jews, telling the stories of suffering as if they were their own, when really they were the murderers and they were. It's crazy. It's a crazy story. But then we have another first in the Book of Esther. I mean, the Book of Esther has written so many films and so many TV series, you wouldn't believe it, because next we have The Purge. And there's like a trilogy of those. There's a fourth one coming out, I think, or is it out. There's all these Purge films. And what we happen next is the, the, the pendulum has swung so far the other way. People are now pretending, oh, no, 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 I'm totally Jewish. I'm totally Jewish. I'm on the right side of this. But actually, the, the queen asks, going, I just want the Jewish people to have the right to defend themselves. And I want them to have the means to be able to kill those who are so ready and waiting to just kill them and steal all their stuff. And so there ends up being like 75,000 people killed, people who are ready, already proclaiming aloud and targeting the Jewish people to wipe them off the face of the earth. And I, I started to think about that. And like, I'm never really comfortable with kind of killing and, and, and murder and all those kind of things. But when I started to think about the Jewish people and throughout the, their history, how many times this kind of stuff has happened to them, it's absolutely insane. But when I look at this story and I see the unbelievable favor and merit of God for them to be able to defend and protect themselves and his deliverance for them as a people, I just, it, it, it blows my mind. I cannot imagine what it would have been like to be a person living in a world where there is a legal piece of paper that says you can be killed and it means nothing. Can you imagine what that's like? knowing any day now, you've read it. It's on the shop walls, it's on the town hall, it's everywhere you go, you know your time is numbered. People are shouting at you in the streets. We know who you are, it's coming, it's coming. Imagine the anxiety, the torture living with, knowing your kids, your family, your wife, how your brutal end could be coming at any moment and then all of a sudden, the script doesn't just flip, but you're able and allowed to protect yourself against people who had such hatred against you. It's kind of a powerful story. What I love about it as well is I believe that so often, I believe totally in grace and the grace of God, but I do believe as people, we do have a right to protect ourselves. And I'm not encouraging anyone to go smack someone up, but I think so often in church, the idea is you just keep positioning yourself to get absolutely battered, and that's not true. The, my wife and I, when we got married, straight away our wedding day, I cut off two of our friendships. I dated them there and then. And people were going to me, you can't do that, you can't do that. You're a Christian, you're a pastor. You should know better. I was in youth ministry then, but they go, you should know better. I'm like, no better than what? I've watched them mug my, my, my girlfriend off. I've watched them mug my fiance off. She's married to me. They're done. They are done. They're not coming back in, they're forgiven. They're cool, I don't have hostility to them. I'm not gossiping about them. I'm not going out of my way to get them but they are not coming in this space again. They are not gonna have any influence, they're not gonna have any say in our lives. And I think so often as Christians, we have this idea that because of the grace and the forgiveness of God, you have to forgive. If you don't forgive, Jesus won't forgive you. So I'm not here saying you don't have to forgive people. You have to forgive people because what God has to forgive you of is greater than anything anyone's done to you because he's gonna give you everlasting life, something beyond any, um, any intrinsic worth or value. It's an incredible thing. But we have to not just position ourselves again and again to get mugged off by people that we know have the worst intentions for us. Don't do it, it's ridiculous. And then lastly, it ends with this huge kind of feast, and it's called uh, Purim. It's the celebration the Jews have. Now, Purim's a kind of funny thing because the first word Purim means lot, like gambling. So they look at this story and go like, that was just, that is like the ultimate game of like Russian roulette. 
with a genocide. It's not even a gun to one person's head, it's a whole nation. And so what they do is they celebrate a time when their demise was imminent and their impending doom was set and it was all written, it was signed off, it was sealed with the king's seal, they were done and yet they were delivered and they were redeemed and they were restored. And so what they do is they eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. But actually they eat, drink and merry and tomorrow they keep on living on. And it's funny because it's the only Jewish festival where everyone gets absolutely wasted. I mean, smashed. Like, like wrecked. Like, I probably maybe have been that wasted three times in my life as a teenager, like 14 and 15. I don't know. I mean, we're talking like, woo! That's a religious festival? Are you sure? So that's why some Christians and some theologians are like, Book of Esther, nah, allow that. That, that shouldn't actually be in the Bible. Um, so that's how they celebrated it. So today this is a prayer time for us because it's the last Sunday of the month, so we focus on prayer. So what I want us to be doing and having in our mind is actually... Though we do pray for one another, every now and then we flip the script and our prayer time is actually one of reflection. So today is about reflection. Like people can pray for one another. Everyone has that freedom. And we're not going to be praying for any church goals or any squad goals or anything like that. But if you have a need, you want someone to pray for you, just chat to anyone around you. Anyone can pray for anyone. Or if you feel led, you want to go and pray for someone, just go and pray for someone. It's cool. We've got that, that freedom. But actually, there's, 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 there's a powerful thing here because this story has a parallel with the, the story in Egypt. In Egypt, their demise was set, their demise was certain, they were in slavery. Here, they're going to be wiped off the face of the earth. But then what they had was they had this meal and this celebration. They had Passover. And what they would do was they would take the one-year-old lamb into their house. It had to be male. It had to be without blemish, no broken bones, no skin disease. And then afterwards, when they saw that, after three days, they kept it in the house. They'd say, it's without blemish. And they would cut the back. The blood would flow. And they'd say, behold, this lamb is fit for Passover. And they would sacrifice the lamb. And what happened there was they put the blood on the doorposts and the lintels and the angel of death passed over their people, but the Egyptian houses, it killed the firstborn and they celebrated their deliverance from this one, one, one moment. And then Jesus, all these years later, turns up this young Jewish rabbi going about the town and John the Baptist proclaimed, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus with the disciples celebrating Passover like a good Jewish boy with his good Jewish disciples. And then he broke the bread that they would use to celebrate their feast and said, this is my body broken for you and for many. And then what he did was he took the wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for you and for many. For the Jewish disciples that would have been there and heard Jesus say this, they'd have gone, Jesus, steady, you're a heretic. This is about Egypt. This has nothing to do with you. But he said, do this in remembrance of me. This was no longer a festival that would be in remembrance about Egypt. But what Jesus was saying, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that he would be the one, the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, that actually the blood of those lambs meant nothing to that angel, but they were all pointing to the blood of Jesus that would be shed upon a cross. And so Jesus is taken away by Pilate and then Pilate interrogates him three days after he comes to his father's house, the temple in Jerusalem, trashes the place because a one-year-old lamb isn't small, weak and cute and furry. It's big, it's strong. It's like a man in his peak in his early 30s. And you keep it in the house for three days, the whole house gets wrecked. He goes to his father's house, he turns the tables over, he wrecks the whole place. Three days later, as they would examine their lamb to say it's without blemish, he's before Pilate and Pilate says, I find no fault with this man, he's without blemish yet I will punish him, I will whip him. And as Jesus whipped, the blood flows from his back and he's declared the Passover Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so today what happens is we look at Purim and we look at Egypt. And in Egypt, they look at their design, their, their demise. And in Purim, they look at their demise. And today you and I look at uh, a demise that, that, that kind of transcends all of this because actually today we celebrate not, not, 
Today we're, we're united around a common demise, the demise of the whole human race, of sin and of death itself. And we celebrate not perhaps, but the absolute intentionality of the word of God, who was God, who became flesh and blood, lived among us and died on a cross for our sins, that we may have everlasting life because he was raised to newness of life. So in Esther, we have this accidental, perhaps you were born for such a time as this, but Jesus in complete intentionality steps into our world. And actually, whether it doesn't mention him or not, he's the one who brings about salvation to the Jews in, in Esther's story. He's the one and the means for the Passover lamb in the Exodus story. And he says, do this in remembrance of me, because he can't say do this in remembrance of Egypt. He can't say do this in remembrance of um, uh, this time in Purim in the Persian Empire. He says do this in remembrance of me, because you see, you and I are all slaves to different sins and different problems and different heartaches and different failures. And so what we do today is we're going to break some bread and we're going to have some wine. And and as we do this, what we're going to do is some of us are going to do one of two things. Some of us are going to be in a camp where we're going to say today, hey, you know what? I'm going to remember my demise and your absolute salvation and your unfailing love for me. Thank you, Jesus. And you're going to take the bread and you're going to have the wine. But some of us are in a place right now where we can see the gallows hanging up and we see our demise coming. And we're going to take the bread and the wine in the same way the Jewish people did going, I'm a slave today, but I'm believing freedom comes tomorrow because I'm, I'm trusting in this God, I'm trusting in this meal, I'm trusting in what he's doing for us, and I'm going to step out into newness of life, and I'm going to experience my deliverance and my salvation. I believe that today as we take a reflect, a moment of reflection on that, I believe there's power that we can invite God in to deliver us in our situations. The great thing about this is, you mean, I mean, later on today, the sun will be out, it'll be a warm day, and... Because of Purim, I think tonight when I get home, I'm going to have, um, forget Pim's o'clock, I'm going to have Purim's o'clock. I'm going to crack open a bottle of something and I'm going to sit back, I'm going to kick back just like I am now. And I'm going to sit at home with my, my wife and kids. And I'm going to say, wow, the amount of times we face the mines and yet we're still here. The amount of times we nearly lost our home, but we're still here. The amount of times where our marriage came under stress and I thought, well, are we going to make this? We're still here. The amount of times where I thought, I don't think I can do this parenting thing anymore, but we're still here. The time when I nearly killed myself, but I'm still here. The time when I was bullied as a kid and didn't think there's anything worth living for, but I'm still here. I can think of all the different times in my life. I reflect upon them and I want you guys to do the same. But maybe today I just want to encourage you. You can see the gallows hanging in the same way that Mordecai did but know that your God is mighty to deliver you. And we're going to have this moment of reflection with the bread and the wine. I'm going to pray for us, and that will be kind of it for this moment. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy towards us. I thank you for your love and your peace. I pray that you would be with us today. I pray that as we take this moment to reflect, that we would encounter you. As we open ourselves up to you, I pray you would deliver us from the scenarios we're in. I pray for some of us here who will be able to celebrate and reminisce anew and remind ourselves of the unbelievable grace that touched our lives where we faced our demise and you delivered us. I pray for others of us here today that can see the gallows hanging up. I pray that they would trust in you, that we would trust in you together for one another, believing in faith that we're going to step out into a whole new era of newness of life. In Jesus' name, amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london.